Let me jump into this because I got a lot. That's why the parking lot was so crazy. Um, hey, listen, don't leave early. Some of you are like, you know, I got to get out of here. I'm telling you, the last five minutes, even if, you, if the, the, the first, you know, 55 minutes, just go, I, I hate this. And, and church has been horrible all your life. The last five minutes, redeem everything. Okay? So and if, you don't, if you don't like the last five minutes, then, um, then um, there's something wrong with you. So how's that? Um, some of you are going, what is it? What is it? Uh, well, you have to stick around, all right? So let me set this up. This is, this is this, this fun, all right? I'm at a gas station the other day. Gas. Gas. Cheap gas. Yay. So, because I prayed for cheap gas. You're welcome. All right? So that one, but uh, I had nothing to do with that. But anyway, so I'm filling my, tank, my truck, truck with gas. I'm going to stop now. I'm filling my truck with gas, all right? A little the medicine's wearing out. Okay, so, so I'm filling my truck with gas, and I'm like, la, 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 and I'm looking around, and I look up at the convenience store window, and I saw something that's there all the time, but I never really noticed it, but today, I noticed it, all right? It was the Powerball jackpot number. I'm like, oh. And here's this, is that on Tuesday, Powerball jackpot number, I don't know what it is now, but it was like 42, it was like $40 million. $40 million, ring a bell. So I'm like looking, going, oh, that's how much our building and our mission project cost. And I thought to myself, how awesome would it be if I bought a Powerball ticket for Jesus and, uh, and I won, okay? And then next week I come in here and I walked up here really humbly and I went, all right, you guys, somebody anonymously donated $40 million and we all go, yay, Jesus, and it'd be great, okay? So I'm thinking, I'm getting all jazzed up, so God, if you do that for me, I'll, get, I'll build this building. But then I started thinking to myself. Okay, and this is a long conversation, at least 19 gallons worth. All right, and here it is, all right? How would I explain to my family, I just won 40 mil and then gave it away? So that just wouldn't be responsible, okay? Or I wouldn't live. So I, I, I started renegotiating that contract with God, okay? And it kind of looked like this. Um, hey, God, if you would kind of work your Jesus powers and let me win the Powerball, you know, um, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to reverse tithe it. Now, let me explain that, okay? It's a religious thing, all right? There's this tithe, biblical thing called tithing. Robin and I believe in tithing. We take 10% of my, uh, my, my salary, and we give it back to, to Flatirons, as we believe in this place. I'm not saying you have to do that, but that's what Robin and I, you know, it's our study of Scripture. We're convicted of that. Reverse tithing would be the opposite. So here's the deal I made with God, all right? God, if you kind of work your Jesus dust power, stuff like that, I will reverse tithe it. I will give you 90%, and I'll keep... 10% for myself. And I'm like, that's great, you know? you know? The building gets built, and I put four mil in my pocket. It's like, it's a good day, all right? So, but then I started thinking, four mil doesn't go as far as it used to. <laughs> right? I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you know, gas prices and inflation and all that kind of stuff. I got two kids in college, you know, and my, my, my retirement account, well, I don't have one. And, uh, uh, I mean, I have Social Security, <laughs> yeah, um, anyway, so, so I renegotiated the deal, and I looked at God and said, okay, God, if you would let me win the Powerball, I'll split it with you 50-50, right? God gets 20, I get 20, all right? Which is great, you know? Like, and I, in my mind, in the gym world, God's in heaven going, oh, thank you, Jim, because I was running short, and I didn't know what I was going to do, but if, if you'll share with me, then I can do something in the world. So I'm like, yeah, it's really, really... Really good. But then I started thinking more. This is about, you know, gallon 14 coming up here. And, and, I, and I started thinking about you guys. And that really wasn't a fair decision. You know, if somebody came along and paid for half the building and robbed you of your opportunity to give, <laughs> it just wouldn't be right. Some would say selfish for the pastor to do that. So uh, I drove away from the gas station. Here's the deal I struck with God. If he fixed the $40 million Powerball jackpot to go my way, I would keep 90% for myself and I would donate $4 million to Bricks, all right? Which is more than any of you are planning on giving, all right? So, and I would have done it. I really would have done it had I bought a ticket, which I didn't. But, 
In any case, I drove away from the gas station feeling very good about myself because in my heart, I know I'm a generous person. And if God would just get on the ball and do his part and send some cash in my direction, I would prove it to you, all right? Now, you know why there's not much laugh right now? Because you're going, oh. See, here it is. Before anybody comes up to me in the lobby with that, I'm so disappointed in our pastor look, which I get regularly around here. But anyway, um, there's a word for everything I just went through at that gas station. And here it is, ready? Uh, normal. Right? Just be honest. Every one of us has had some kind of Powerball negotiation with God in our life, right? We've all had that conversation with God. And Jesus knew that. That's where we're going to land today. We're going to spend our time today. Jesus knew there would always be these conversations in our head. There would be this tug of war, this tension um, between two things, God and money. God and money, all right? Not in the sense that one's good and one's evil. That's just not true. God is always good and money is always neither. It's neutral. It's not, it's not good or, or bad. The tension doesn't come from which one I want more. Do I want Jesus more or do I want money more? It's, that's not what it's about. Which one do I love more? The, the tension for me, and I think for a lot of us, is which one do I think can take better care of me? Which one do I trust more you know, for, for, for you know, what's going to happen in my life? And for, again, for anybody that was planning on leaving early and you, you're hoping the answer is both, can I trust in both? The answer is no. According to Jesus, No. See, we're, we're, we're almost, we got, we've got five more weeks of this Sermon on the Mount thing where Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like. This is what your life would look like. I mean, everybody sings and prays and stuff like that, but this is what your life would look like if you really trusted me. And Jesus is going to say this, all right? As you live your life trying to trust me and trying to follow me, God's biggest competition for your heart, and by that I mean what you really believe, what you trust is going to take care of you later. His biggest competition for your heart, for your faith, for your trust is not the devil, you know, no, no, it's not another person. It's not even another religion. It's money. It's money. All right, and, and that little conversation I have with God in the gas station, which I refer to as normal, I don't, I don't think it's because I'm a selfish person. I, I'm just a fearful person. I'm afraid. I, I think I don't give because I'm afraid. And you say, there, well, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that, okay? Then, then explain why you don't give more of your money away. I'm not even talking to flat irons. I mean, you don't trust us, give it somewhere else. Why don't you give more of your money away? And the only choices I can come up with are either I'm a selfish person or I'm afraid. I, I'm afraid. See, I think the reason that we, and, and I put myself at the top of this list, the reason I don't give very much of my stuff away, especially my money, is not because I'm selfish. It's not because I can't find a good cause out there. There's great causes out there, you know, trying to fight this and cause this and help this and all that. And it's not because I don't wish I could give more. I actually do, all right? I, I really do wish that I could give more of my money away to needy causes. Um, no, the reason I don't give very much of my money away, or at least on a percentage basis, um, is because I play the what-if game a lot. Don't you? What if this happens? And what if the economy does that? And what if this happens again? And what, what if, here's the big one. What if I do this? Or what if I give this away and then tomorrow I need it and I don't have it because I gave it away yesterday? See, I'm afraid that if I give my money away today, I won't have enough money to take care of myself later when the what if this and what if that's happened in my life. And Jesus knew that. He knew you and I would always fight this temptation, this assumption. And here's what we, th- we think. We think that if we can do things right, right enough, and if, if we can kind of get enough of this and tuck it away for a rainy day, we believe that when that rainy day hits our life, we'll be ready for it. Bring it on. I'm ready. I'm prepared I have secured my future, even though deep down inside, you know, it, it just doesn't work. We can't. But we pray about it, and we hope, and we wish that we could do more because in our hearts, we know we're a generous people. But when we weigh out all the risk, 
about giving or keeping or whatever, we get scared. I get scared. And I kind of back off the pedal and I kind of keep all my stuff to myself, think, thinking I'm protecting the future, even though Jesus teaches the opposite. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. If you, if you haven't been to church in a long time, you think that churches always talk about money, this is the first time in a long time that we've, and we're not going to talk about it for a long time after this, but, uh, but Jesus talked about money a lot, and we'll talk about why he talked about that uh, as well. But here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at three things. One is we're going to look back at this Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your, a Bible with you or the program with you, it's Matthew chapter 6. If you have the Flatterns Bible, it's six, page 673. Then we're going to skip ahead like 20 years after Jesus went back to heaven. And there's this little church that's trying to figure everything out, kind of like we're trying to figure everything out. And this guy named Paul writes a letter to them, and we're going to read part of that letter. And then we're going to come back, and we're going we're to hit the three verses that I skipped over uh, with which are the three verses before this. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is what Jesus thought about money, believed about money. This is what he taught about money, okay? So if you have a problem with this, I have problems with parts of it too, okay? So I didn't make this up. It's much too dangerous to teach. So here we go, all right? This is not how you build a church, by the way, at least in numbers, all right? Here it is, because it chases people away. This is what Jesus says. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, if I could paraphrase that, okay, kind of put it in modern terms, uh, I think if Jesus said that today, he might say it something like this. He says, don't, uh, don't pile up a big pile of money thinking that if you get a big enough pile, you'll be untouchable. Okay, don't, don't do that, all right? Um, because, and we all know this is true, okay, whether you believe in God or not, right? Whatever you buy breaks. And when you buy it because it's the latest thing, I promise Apple will come out with a better one next month, right? And uh, whatever it is that you buy, I'm telling you, it'll probably depreciate. And, and even, if you go, even if you have an argument for all that, it's very possible that thieves, and I just filled in some other words here, politicians, <laughs> Wall Street CEOs, ballooning interest rates, bad mortgages, religious scam artists, high gas prices, it's a sure thing, investments, things totally out of your control, you don't get a vote on that stuff, will break in and steal, rip off, eat up, Everything you thought was going to take care of you. Does that sound like our world? It's like Jesus maybe understands 2,000 years ago what 2008 would look like. Now, Jesus is not saying, now don't buy a house, you know. Don't, don't, don't have a, you know, a savings account or don't have a retirement account. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't ever put yourself in a situation where your money, which may or may not be there for you tomorrow, and we all know that's true, is what you're trusting on to take care of you in the future. Because it can't. Instead, Jesus says this, okay? So, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not or cannot destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. Uh, apparently, there is a way to store up for yourself untouchable treasures in heaven. Now, we're going to come back to that later, but this is what Jesus is saying. You're going to have to make a choice in your life. You're going to store up your treasure somewhere. One place is risky. The other is untouchable. That, that's, what, that's where we're going to land, okay? Now, look at verse 21. For... Where your treasure is, and treasure, let me just clear it up for you, where your money is, there your heart will be also. Again, whether you believe in God or not, that's just true. Right? I spend my money on the things that have my heart. I spend my money on the things I love. But even more than that, I direct my money in the direction of things that I believe are going to give me a good return. They're going to make me feel better. They're going to take care of me, whatever that is. I'm going to send my money, my treasure, where I believe... Um, the return will take care of me better. Then he says this, all right? He's building up to a big, big one. Here he is. No one, nobody can serve two masters. 
And serve here means align yourself with, chain yourself with, you know, stick yourself with, allow your, your life to be directed by or controlled by, by, by a master, all right? Jesus says you can't have two of those. You can't serve two masters. You can't, you can't align yourself with two bosses. You've tried that at work. That was a disaster, right? You didn't know who you work for or not. You, you, you can't have two competing allegiances in your life. And here's why. Again, whether you believe in God or not, this is true. Either he, you, you and I, we will hate the one master and love the other master, or we'll be devoted to the one master and despise the other one. And we've looked at these words before. Despise and hate don't mean I hate you and I'm against you. Usually, the word hate means uh, I just forgot about you. I, 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 you know, I neglected, I, I ignored you. You're on the list, though. I mean, you are, on, you are on the list, all right? But there's some other stuff above the list. It's a little more urgent. I'm going to take care of that, and one day I'm going to get to you, but right now I've got something else I've got to serve. And Jesus said, I can tell what you love. Not by what building you show up in, or not how you dress, or not by the fish on the back of your car, or what songs you sing, or what you gave up for God, or whatever. Jesus says, I can tell if you love by just looking at the things that are important to you. You prioritize. That always comes first in your life. Jesus, I'm not judging you. I just see what the first things in your life. is what things you spend all your time pursuing. You spend a lot of hours running after that. It must be pretty important to you. Like it has your heart. And which things you're most protective of. Jesus, I, I, I can tell. And then he drops the bomb on here. Ready? Here's the grenade. You cannot serve, trust, depend, align yourself with, with both God and money. You can't. According to Jesus. See, in this teaching about faith, about this is what your life would look like if you really trusted Jesus, according to Jesus, he says this. Hey, hey, hey everybody, you've you got to make a decision. You've got to come to your point where you've got to make a decision. Not between, you know, having Jesus or having money. That's not the decision, all right? You don't have to decide bet- between wanting more of Jesus in your life and wanting more money in your life. I want both of those. Just be honest with you. I want more Jesus in my life. I want more money. I do. If that's bad, I'm... The Bible doesn't say anything about that being bad. We don't even have to decide between loving Jesus and loving having nice things and going on nice vacations. We don't have to make a decision between that. What we have to choose between is trusting Jesus or money. Which one do we really believe or trust is going to take care of us in the future? Now, everybody in here, you know, we, we go, uh, Jesus, okay, there's, there's the answer. Really? What would that look like? What would it look like? What would my life look like? And let's just get really offensive. Let's just jump right into what Jesus is talking about here. What would my personal financial decisions look like if I really believe Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he wants to do and is able to pull off all the things he promises to pull off? What would my personal financial life look like if I trusted Jesus more than I trusted money to take care of me? Well, those those people in that little town called Corinth, they were wrestling through the same thing. If you want to skip over about 100 pages, uh, page 805 in the Flowers Bible, or in the program too, Paul is this guy who's, who started this church in this little, this, this is actually a pretty big town called Corinth. And it's 2 Corinthians because he wrote two letters to this, these people that live there. People who live in Corinth are called Corinthians. Ta-da. Okay, so anyway, this is the second letter. And in this part of the letter, he's talking about this collection of money. These, 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 these followers of Jesus ha- had just taken up to send back, to give with one of the, the apostles, like one of the guys that kind of worked with Paul, take this back to Jerusalem. Help more people find out about Jesus. And we hear there's a, like a famine there right now. And a lot of people, like the king is like killing people and stuff like that. Make sure that the poor and, and, the, and the homeless are taken care of. Okay? So they collect the money and they give it to Paul. He writes them a letter to, to, tell, to talk about two things. One is, this is how God looks at your money. And this is what God promises to do in response to what you just did. Now look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. six. He says this. He starts out with these two words. Remember this. And I think that's important. You know why that's important? 
Because as soon as you walk out of this, this, this building in about an hour, you're going to forget it. You know why? Because nothing in our world is going to reinforce what I'm about to tell you. As a matter of fact, everything I'm about to explain to you, the world would come along and the world would just mean daily life. I'm not talking about the devil or something like that. Daily life will come along and say, that's true, but this is really more true. So he starts by saying, hey, remember this. Don't forget this, okay, because it's easy to forget. And, and he talks about farming because everybody there that went to that church probably farmed. Look, whoever sows, and this is like plants, seeds, whoever sows sparingly, not very much, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, Paul's talking about farming and everybody in that room and everybody in this room, whether you're a farmer or not, knows this is true. Plant a little bit of seeds, get a little bit of crop. Plant a lot of seeds, get a lot of crop. That's true, but what we tend to forget is that it's also true with money. If a farmer sows sparingly, harvest comes around, and the harvest will be pretty sparse as well. If a, if a, if a farmer sows generously, the day will come when he'll also reap a generous harvest. You cannot, again, this has nothing to do with God. This is true, all right? You cannot sow sparingly with any expectation of reaping generously. It just, it just doesn't make sense. It's just, that's just agriculture, all right? Now, Paul's not talking about seeds here. He's talking about money because the same truth applies. God looks at my money, your money, our money, and he wants us to look at our money the same way a farmer looks at seeds. See, every farmer there, and all of us know a couple things to be true, or think about this, all right? Every farmer knows his job, his responsibility is to go find good soil, fertile soil. That's just a good farmer finds good soil. It would be a bad farmer who said, that soil's never produced anything before, and it washes out, and it never has any return, but I'm going to throw more seeds at it. That would be a foolish farmer, right? So the farmer's first responsibility is find some place that you trust to sow your seeds. The other thing that every farmer knows is the reason he has the seeds in the first place is to sow them. Because if he sows them generously, there's a chance he's also going to harvest generously, right? See, farmers don't save up seed. You never found a a farmer going, it's my seed, hoarding up seed. I've got a barn full of seed, and I just want to keep it in the barn, right? You never hear a farmer say something like this. I have seeds, but I'm afraid that if I sow my seeds, I won't have them anymore. You look at that farmer and go, give me the seeds. Give me the seeds, because that just doesn't doesn't make sense. A, A good farmer knows that the the best thing he can do, the least risky thing he can do, the wisest thing that farmer can do would be to take the seeds that he has, a little bit or a lot, and, and sow them. The other thing that every farmer knows, and we all know, is that uh, almost everything having to do with sowing seeds and then reaping later, um, once you sow it, it's all, the rest of it is almost all up to God, isn't it? I mean, the farmer does what only the farmer can do. I'm out. Everything else up to, is up to God. God. Only God knows how to make seeds actually grow. And Paul comes along and says, it's the same thing with money. It's the same thing with our personal finances. See, whatever our level of income, it's our responsibility to find a a place we trust, a fertile place that that we trust. And I'm not, you know, I I believe in this place, but if you don't believe in this place, you got to leave this place and go find a place that you trust, right? A fertile soil. That's that's our responsibility as as children of God, to find a soil that lines up with the heart of God. The second thing every farmer knows, and and there are several awkward moments, this would be one of them. Okay, there's like four tonight. Right? Here's one of them, all right? The reason we have what we have, the seeds we have, be that, you know, you're here and you get a, an allowance or you got a paper route or maybe you're just on the front end of, uh, of your career and it's just a, you know, a, a, a little paycheck you bring home every Friday. But maybe, you know, you just have done something right and your company went public, you know, and, and you, you're bringing home you know, serious bank. There's a reason for that. And really, the Bible only really points to... One primary reason, 
Same reason a farmer was given a whole bunch of seeds. To sow. The Bible makes it really clear. The reason that we have what we have, be it a lot or a little bit, that's irrelevant, is this. It's not all for you. It's not all for me. It's to sow. To invest back into the soil. And by the soil, I mean the kingdom and the purposes of God. By the way, the reason we have soil in the first place is because God was in the process and sent some our way. See, again, most of us agree with that. And I can look around the room right now and I can see some religious heads going, that's right, I believe. Yeah, I, I believe that too. But when it comes to putting that into practice, well, what do you mean putting it into practice? Letting go of your seeds? Let me just get really specific. Picking up a pen, getting out your checkbook and starting writing out things to causes and, and things that you believe line up with the heart of God? I'm telling you, all that fear comes welling up. This is, what, this is my story. It might not be your story. It's my story. I, I sit in my, in my office at home to pay the bills, and, I, and my hands start shaking when it comes to time to give, to give money away. And I start going this. What, well, what if this? And what if that? And what if? And what if? And what if? And I, I don't ever run out of what ifs. But here's what I do at my house a lot. I put my pen down. I close up my checkbook. And I go, God, I would if I could. It's just not a good time right now. But someday, someday. Let's be honest. How many times have we ever told God, someday, I'm going to get to that. I'm not throwing stones. Me too. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? It feels reasonable. I mean, it feels very understandable. Everybody in, a, in here could build a case for, but what if? You're right. What if? But Jesus says this, and Paul teaches this 20, 30 years later. He says this. And this is awkward moment number two. If fear keeps you from sowing generously now, fear will also keep you from reaping generously later. Right? Go back two weeks ago. Peter's sitting in a boat. Scared to death. Jesus says, come over here. Eleven guys were afraid. Eleven guys never walked on water. That's just, it's just true. See, what Peter knew, what all farmers know, what God knows, and what you and I know is this. The way to invite God into our life later um, is to jump into his now. Does that make sense? The way to invite God into a generous harvest, you know, next fall is to sow generously on the front end. And I believe God's going to keep his promise. And we all believe that about farming. But when it comes to money, most of us do what I did at the gas station. God, okay, I believe that, but I need you to do something first. I need you to go first. I need you to send a harvest my way first. And then out of the, that harvest and out of that overflow, then I'll send some seeds your way later. I promise. But that's not how it works in God's economy. I wish it did, but that's not how it works. Jesus taught this. Jesus, not me. Because this is a way to just ruin a church. He, Jesus said this. The person who's faithful with a little bit of seed right now, he says, I'll trust you with more seed later. And then he turns around and says this. But if I give you a little seed now and you're not faithful with it now, you run the risk of losing everything as well. I heard Andy Stanley teach this, uh, and I'm ripping him off all over the place. So if you've ever heard him teach and going, that sounds like Andy Stanley. I know, I'm plagiarizing all over the place, so pray for me. But he, he said, you know, I, he was wrestling through this. He had a, this big uh, decision he was trying to make. And he says, it's like I heard God say to me, not audibly, but we've all felt God speak to us, all right? He heard God ask him this question. Hey, Andy, how much money would I have to give you before you'd give me back $100,000? Think about that. How much money would God have to send into your bank account before you would have confidence of sitting down, you know, at your dining room table and writing a check back to him or one of his causes, you know, one of his church, his ministry, whatever, uh, worth $100,000. What would that have to be for him to get, you know, $100,000 back from you? All right, let's just, let's just go down because that, you know, there's going, that's way out of my league. Okay, how much would God have to send your way before you would feel comfortable looking back at him and saying, here's $20,000 back? It's 
It's out of our league still. Okay. How much would God have to give you before you give him $1,000 back? $1,000. How about this? How about 40 how much money would God have to send your way before you'd go, you know what, God, here's 40 back for something you really care about? That's a great question, isn't it? So it's really a horrible question because it's a really convicting question because we, we all know the question behind this is this. Are you a good investment from God in, God's perspective? Are you, are you a good investment? Not, I'm not asking, do you have value to God? Yes, you do. I'm not asking, does God love you? Yes, he does. I'm not asking if you're going to heaven. What we're talking about tonight has nothing to do with going to heaven or hell. Nothing. Has nothing to do with whether God loves you or not. Has, has nothing to do with that. No, the question is, why should, why would God trust you with more when there may be other people around that he could give less to and get more back from? Why, why, why would God trust you? All right, this is, let's, help me answer this, okay? I got a single mom here. This is a story in our church, by the way. I got a single mom here who makes a couple hundred bucks a week Gets by, scrapes by, but every week walks in here and finds enough to scrape together $20 to put back in one of those colorful buckets to make sure that the ministries of this place go, all right? Now, she believes that 90% with God is better than 100% on her own, okay? So just, there she is, okay? There she is, all right? Now I got this businessman over here, businesswoman over here, whatever, who, who has, you know, they've, they've, they've worked the system right, they've, they've had all the right opportunities, and they, they've, they're banking serious cash. I mean, they, they've got thousands, maybe millions come this way. And every time they make some more money, you know what they do? They take it and they invest it back into their business, which is good. That's smart. But, but, and there's nothing wrong with it. The Bible says nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But, I wonder sometimes how many Powerball gas station conversations they've had along the way that look something like this. Hey, God, someday, someday, I, I'm going to do something big for you. I mean, someday. Right now, it's tied up. Right now, it's not liquid. Right now, it's, you know, I get it in these investments and things like that. But someday, God, oh, you're going to be so proud of what I'm about to do. So, so hey, listen, God, someday, you, you're going to get yours right after I get mine. Right? Just think about it. From a pure seed sown to return ratio, God would be smarter if he gave more to who? And he's got to look at that, all right? The question is, why, why should God trust me with more of his money when he might be able to give it to somebody else and actually make a bigger ripple in the world? See, giving, giving your money to the things of God, and again, and I, we say this all the time, if you don't trust us, find someplace you trust just don't be a selfish person where you hoard it all for yourself. But giving your money to the things of God, it's just smart. It's just wise. Because the risky thing, and every farmer knows this, and every really, over the last month, every financial person in this room knows this, keeping it for yourself, thinking that will take care of you, I mean, it's just not true. And you know it's not true. You know it's not true for a couple different reasons, a couple different perspectives. One is, let me just ask you this. How many people do you know have ended up in bankruptcy, uh, in, in overwhelming debt and financial stress and ruin because they were too generous? You know, their, their life just tanked because they kept feeding poor people, you know, and giving them ministries and, you know, helping, you know, single moms and stuff like that, but their life just fell apart. Now, you know what? You might be able to come up with a name or two. Some people who said, you know, they gave all their money away and they didn't even, you know, pay their own heat bills and stuff like that. that, that so you might be able to come up with a name of that. Now, what about this number of people? How many people do you know who have lost their health, their marriages, their careers, their joy, their financial freedom because they kept or spent all of their money on or for themselves? You know, which one's more risky, really? Keeping it or, or giving it away? 
The other reason that we know that money can't protect our future is because if and when, I don't want to say if, when the day comes when the bottom of our life falls out, what do you mean? Um, when our finances tank, when the company that we've worked for for all these years just fails or lays us off, when the economy dips, what are you going to do? Now, I know what you're going to do. You're going to do what I'm, I'm going to do. Uh, you're you're going to do the same thing I would do when, when my health falls apart or my marriage falls apart or I think my kids are going to be home at 11 and they don't come home and, and something happens in my life and my, and my heart just breaks. You know what you're going to do? You're going to run to God, right? You're going to run to God and you're going to pray a prayer something like this. Hey, God, I need you to jump into my life. I need you to jump in the middle of my financial world. I need you to jump in the middle of my, my family. I need you to jump in the middle of my marriage. I've never listened to you before, but this is different. I need you to jump into my life now because today I woke up and I realized that most of my life is totally out of my control. And now that things are really rough, God, I need, I need you to jump in and take over. Now, if that's true, and we all know it is, what, what should we do now? Not later, not after we win Powerball. You're probably not, all right? Not someday if things get better. They might. Not someday if things get worse. Now. Like now. What, what's the answer? Here it is. Look at the next verse. Verse 7. Okay? Each man, each person should give away what he has decided. If you, want, if you have your program, you might want to circle that. Or if you have your Bible, you might want to like highlight that one. What he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly. Not like, oh, God, here. You know, not like that. Or, or under compulsion, like, oh, there's a, a law in the Old Testament that I do this or I go to hell. No, no, that's not why we give. For God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what God, remember, write this down. Here's what God tells you to do with your money. Make a good decision. Make, make a good decision. Choose, choose wildly. And listen, don't, don't make your decision based on guilt. There's no guilt coming from me about this. There's no pressure from the, I, you know, so this is stuff I, I wouldn't teach normally unless Jesus said it because it's really hard to teach. It's awkward. You're not going to give because of some religious rule. You're not going to ba- give based on emotion because emotion changes. You feel good today, so you give out of that emotion. Tomorrow things fall apart and you're afraid. No, you've got to make a decision now to carve out a percentage of what you have now, not someday and if the Powerball comes through for you, but now, and invest it into what you believe God is doing and wants to do more of in the world. So there's the application part. Give generously now. Now. And here's the faith part behind it. Look at this next verse. Okay, so that's the application. Here's the faith part. And God is able. Look at that. That's an underliner. God is able. Everybody say that. One, two, three. God is able to make all grace. And grace is, is this religious word for everything that you need, everything that God promises you, he, that He's going to send your way. God is able to make all Grace abound to you. Abound is like overflowing. So that in all things, all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, that's the faith part. He says, give generously because God is able. But it's also the, the sticky part, the trip up part for a lot of us. And here's why. Some of us are sitting in this room right now going, I'm not sure he is. I don't know if God is able. And that's why this is awkward moment number like three or four. I've lost count. There's several more. All right, here, you ready? That's why Jesus said that the biggest thing that reveals what you think about God is not your prayer life, your music life, your singing life, your church attendance life, uh, your marriage life, uh, your addiction life. That's, that's not the biggest revealer of your faith. Jesus points this out. He says, you know what the biggest kind of revealer of what you think to be true about God is? What you do with your money. That's what Jesus says, all right? Either you believe that he is able to take care of you 
or you don't believe he is. But look back at that verse again, verse 8 again, all right? And God is able. That's a promise. You know what? The, the other thing that the Bible says about God is he can't lie. He has to do whatever he says he's, he's going to do. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. There's a theme there, I think, all right? Look at that. In all things, at all times, having all that you need. Let's say it together. Ready? Here we go. Ready? In all things, at having you will abound in every good work. Here's the promise from God, okay? Not Jim, not flat irons. We didn't get in the office and go, hey, let's say God said this. That's not it at all, right? God says that when we prioritize the things of God and we put them up on the top of the list, not, not, not our religious feelings or our prayers or our songs and our good intentions. I mean, that's all good. But when we demonstrate faithfulness, especially in this one area of our life, the dollars that God has said, okay, you can hold those for me. Um, when we're faithful with that, God says that we can have the assurance, we can have the confidence that at how many times? All times. And what kind of things? And how many times? All, all the time. Well, what's that include, Jim? All. The Greek word is all, okay? I mean, it's, it's all. So that would include good, good economic times and bad economic times. All economic times. Uh, gas is high, gas is low. All, all, all times. Um, all times, when your marriage is great and when you're sitting home by yourself, either again or for the first time, all times, when you're young and healthy and the world is at your feet and when death just wiped out everything important to you, all times, God says, you can have confidence that not only am I able to take care of you, but I'm willing to. I want to. I'll give you everything that you need to accomplish everything I want you to do. Now, if that's true, Here's another awkward moment, all right? If that's true, that God promises, you be faithful with what I've given you, and I promise you will not go without. If that's true, the reverse has to be true as well, right? That's just logical. Meaning this, if we hoard up all our money and save all of our seeds for ourselves, because what if this happens? And someday that might happen, and according to what God says right here, we, we can't have that same confidence that God will give us all that we need when we need it. So you tell me, which investment is more risky? Now, there's a promise that goes along with that. Look at this. Here's the, like the payoff. When God says, listen, you, you take the money I, I gave you to hold for me, and you, you plant that, you invest it in spiritual things that, that line up with my heart, let, let me tell you what's going to happen. Look at verse 9. He says, as it is written, so he's quoting the Old Testament, as it is written, he, God, has scattered abroad his gifts. And by gifts, here's what it means, money to take care of the poor. Okay, God has scattered abroad his gifts to take care of the poor and his righteousness, everything that is good about God, all the good that God wants to do on, on this earth. It endures. It goes on forever. Let me translate that, okay? There's more than enough money in the world to take care of what needs to be taken care of. Right? There's more than enough money in the world to make sure that every child in the world goes to bed with a full stomach tonight. There's more than enough. There's more than enough you know, money in the world to rebuild all the houses that got blown up in the last 20 years. More, more than enough. Let me, I'll go, I'll go say, there's more than enough money in circulation in the world right now to make sure that everybody on the planet at least has an opportunity to hear that God does not hate them. They can be connected back to him and he wants to be connected back to him. Now, they might say no to him, but they at least deserve the opportunity to hear it and accept it or reject it. There's more than enough money. There's not a money shortage in the world. There's a distribution problem in the world. And he has scattered his gifts abroad. Well, like to who? Us. 
us. Please don't make this about, you know, Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or something like that. Us. There's enough money in this room to take care of some really big needs in this world, right? So why has he scattered it like he has? Well, I can't fully answer that, but here's part of the answer. Look at this, verse 10. He says this, now, he, God, who supplies. Now, here's the thing is, okay, seed doesn't really mean seed. Seed's really about what? Money. So when I say seed, think money, okay? Now, God who supplies seed to the sower, the person that's been trusted with it to do something with it, and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed, which really doesn't mean seed, and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, your, your ability to make right things, spread the rightness of God. Now, if, if bread, bread for food represents, here's what you need just to live, okay? This is a bread. Yeah, just, this, you got to eat. Everybody's got to eat. So let's say that bread for food represent the basic needs of my life. And seed to the sower represents everything above that. Everything that you get to make a choice about, I'm going to send it this way or that way. And I have, to, I have to buy food, obviously, all right? And I have to get shelter for my life. That's obvious, okay? But everything that I kind of start marking up, that you have a choice to do, all right? And there's no guilt or pressure in that. But God says that, listen, I will increase the store of your seed, which really doesn't mean seed, if, you, if I watch you and you demonstrate that you're sowing that seed towards the things I really care about. In other words, there's like two more awkward moments and here's one of them. God gave me what I have for a reason. And you too. Whether you believe in him or not. You have what you have for a reason. And it's not just for you. And there's a way to increase, not just your income, because this isn't some TV preacher thing going, you know, you give God 10 and he'll send you 100. But apparently there's a way to increase your store of seed in such a way that you are able to be even more generous and cause more of God's righteousness to spread across the earth. That's what it says. Now look at the next verse, all right? You will be made rich. And I, I don't have full explanation of this, Okay. So this is not some get rich scheme with God, all right? You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. Why would God make you rich? Why are you already rich? Well, you know, I'm not really rich. Come on. Compared to most of the world, we're doing okay. You shouldn't feel guilty for that. A, a, a farmer doesn't feel guilty for having seeds. He feels responsibility. So... You'll be made even more rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, and us as Paul and those other guys that had come over to p- pick up the offering to take it back to Jerusalem to make sure that people got fed and some more people got to hear about Jesus, um, because of your generosity, um, it'll result in thanksgiving to God. Got, got two promises from God right here. Probably more, but here's two. God promises this, that the more generous you are, God promises to ensure that he'll make it possible in every way, and I don't really explain it more than that, at all times and all things, you'll even have more so that you can be more generous in the future. And I can't explain it more than that. So if you come up to me later and go, can you talk about that more? No. That's all I know. That's what he says. According to the Bible, the wisest thing that I could do for myself later is be generous towards the things of God now. That's what it says. The other thing is your generosity, my generosity, will result in people turning and saying thank you. Probably not to me or you, but to God. When they realize that God working through people who claim to follow him, claim to love him, claim to believe in him, claim to trust him, people who are faithful with what God had, had, had said, you hold that for me. Paul says that when that happens, people will discover that God has not forgotten about him, and that he loves them, they matter to him, 
that there's somebody to him and he cares for him. When I was growing up, I had, um, I had it kind of rough, I guess I would say. I ended up had, doing two, uh, two stays in foster care. What I've gone through my life believing was that nobody cares. Everybody leaves eventually. Um, everybody does. Then I met my soon to my future husband. I had no value in my mind. And here was this guy who was willing to pay attention to me. Uh, one day we had had a fight um, that became physical. I gave him an ultimatum and I said, if you can't get sober, then I can't stay. I can't do this marriage anymore. So ultimately the decision was made that he would move out and he did. I remember being at home one day talking or watching my kids and I remember looking at them and thinking, this isn't what I want for my kids. And um, I decided that I needed to do something different. And that was when I decided to start coming to shift. One day while I was driving down to shift, my van blew a head gasket. I really needed that car to keep working, but I was broke. I didn't have enough money for food, and I didn't have food. Um, I was literally scraping by. That's a scary place to be in when you have two kids to take care of. I just cried because I thought, God, why would you let me end up in this situation? I just lost the only lifeline I had left. I have no food at home. I've only been back at work for a couple of weeks now, and they're going to fire me. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm not even going to go home. I'm just going to sit here until somebody picks me up and <laughs> does something horrible to me or maybe the cops will pick me up and take me to jail or maybe nobody will see me at all and I'll just sit here. But I'm not going home. I give up. I quit. And I can't do this anymore. And God, you have to meet me here because I can't do it anymore. And I sat there for two hours. In the middle of the night. <laughs> and then God spoke to me and he said, it's time to get up and go home. And so I did. I got up the next morning and I called my friend from my step study and told her what had happened. And I was crying and I said, I just need some food. Can you please just help me get some food for my kids? She shows up at my house with a carload of groceries 
and she handed me a gift. And I opened up the gift and inside was a cashier's check for $1,500. Somebody had donated that anonymously for a woman, a single mother who was struggling. Somebody had nominated me for Outrageous Love two days before Christmas. The family that um, got us showed up and they brought so many presents. Their gift to me was that they paid a month of my rent. And they also paid for my babysitter. In the very beginning of the month, I had nothing. And by the end of the month, everything was paid. And I remember on Christmas morning, watching my kids and they just tore through those in, in like, you know, 10 minutes. But I remember watching them and feeling blessed and feeling really cared for. Just to know that God would do that for me. For me. Who am I? I'm somebody to him. You know who I think is probably the, feels the most blessed this weekend? And I don't know who they are. Whoever put $1,500 in an envelope and sent it to church and said, take care of a single mom. Whoever adopted Tanya's family last Christmas. I don't know who you are, but you do. You changed your life. And that verse comes to life right there. Yeah, it's so funny. The first time I met Tanya was out here last January. Out here, she had her two kids were running around in the lobby, and, and her, little, her little boy, was like five years old, came up and bit me on the <laughs> back of the leg. And, uh, and I like wheeled around, and he winged a bagel with cream cheese at me, and it stuck to my head. And I'm like, hey, dude. And it's like, what? You know, but anyway, um, what a great. And you're going to meet Tanya in a minute. Um, well, that brings us to the end of teaching, the teaching part of this BRICS series. That's all, Scott and I don't really know anything more about it. Uh, and by application, I mean that. If all that is true, then what would my life look like? That's what we've got to go home and wrestle with. What's all this faith, get out of the boat, walk on water, all things are possible, just crawl, crawl up in God's lap and have a conversation. Why do I have the money I have? Don't be afraid. What's all that have to do and what would that look like if I really believe that was true? You know, a month ago, we kicked this series off by asking a couple questions. God, what is it you want to do in my life, especially in this area about trust and faith? The other question was, God, what do you want to do in this place called Flatirons? Obviously, you're doing a lot already, but do you want to do something else? This Me Too place, safe place called Flatirons. And then how are those first two things related, me and this place? And here's what I believe, and I think thousands of other people in this place believe the same thing, is God's calling us individually and as a church to get out of the boat and take whatever seeds and whatever money that he's said, here, hold this for me, and build a place, a safe place, where grace and truth are spoken, where... Uh, we're wounded and broken and hungry people can find out that God still cares and they matter. People who don't know or maybe they used to know then something happened like life ran over them and they forgot that God does care about them. Could we create a place where people bump into Jesus hard? Not just over on 24 acres, you know, a mile away from here, but all over the world. You know, Tanya and her, her two kids, uh, Shaked and, and, and his family of seven. Let them know that uh, God's still there. He loves them, wants them to have food and shelter and love. So what's your part? I don't know. Paul wrote in that, what we just read, is that's between you and God. You have to decide. 
It's between you and God. You can't let some preacher get in the way of that, right? You have to decide in your heart what you're going to give towards this building relationships in Christ. Um, but Jesus makes it clear. I think this is the last awkward moment because I would never say this because, it, again, this is how you make church attendance go down. <laughs> Jesus makes it clear that whatever you decide about this, um, and if it's not here, it's in your, somewhere else, but whatever you decide to give, whatever portion of your money you decide, from now on I'm going to give this money away, it will be a de- declaration about what you believe to be true about God. Whether he can take care of you or he can't, whether you trust him or not. And I can't answer that for you. But here's your homework assignment. When you came in today, everybody got a card on your seat, right? Don't even open it. Just, just put it on your lap and listen to me, okay? Because I want you to take it home, but I don't want you to write anything on it, okay? If you go, I already did, you know, get another one, all right? We have, we have several, all right? Um, take it home and put it somewhere. Somewhere that you're going to see it, like, you know, on your bathroom mirror or on your dresser or, you know, above your head of your bed or, or on, above your TV, you know, whatever that is, and someplace you're going to see it. And here's what, what I want to go back to really quick. Go back to, the, to Matthew chapter 6. There are three verses that we skipped right over where, where Jesus talks about something that very few Christians do anymore, especially for spiritual reasons. I mean, some of us do this for other reasons, but um, he talks about fasting. You're like, oh, this is the part I thought he forgot about. Um, Because most of us do the other spiritual stuff. Like we give stuff to needy causes once in a while and we always pray. But look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. He says, now when you fast, and that's all you need to say because everything after that, the rest of the paragraph is exactly what he said about giving and praying. Please don't do silly, empty, religious rituals. And don't do it to impress other people, you know. He actually says, don't walk around looking, looking hungry. We know those people, right? They walk around going, you know, I love Jesus. I haven't eaten him since February, you know. He's like, you, you're like, wow, you're spiritual, you know. And he says, no, 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 wash your face. Wash your face. The only person that needs to know that you've decided to do this, and we'll talk about why in just a second, needs between you and God. And then Jesus says that when your father sees you doing that, um, he will move, he'll do something on your behalf. The practice of fasting was an Old Testament thing that they practiced for thousands of years before Jesus even showed up. But when people were facing a huge decision or a really tough circumstance, for, for a season of time, some, you know, for a short period of time usually, they would abstain from something like food or certain kinds of food all right, that they would normally eat. They didn't fast because food was bad and evil and the flesh is bad, so for 24 hours or a week or whatever, we're not going to you know, let our body, no. They didn't fast in, in order to suffer or punish themselves. I sinned. I'll show me. I won't eat for three days. That'll you know, starve some sense into me. That's not how it works. They didn't do it to prove to God how spiritual they are. Oh, God, look at me. I, I, I love you so much, I don't eat. That makes sense. Uh, it wasn't a hunger strike. You know, I'm not going to eat until God heals them or gives me this or makes it. That's not, that's, that doesn't work that way. No, people in the Bible fasted because... They did it because it helped them find clarity and direction on what they were facing. That's why people fasted. And fasting is not just about um, not doing something. I've heard fasting kind of explained this way. Fasting is not doing something so that you can do something more important right now. And usually it's, it's always a short, short-term thing, but um, fasting in the Bible was always linked up with prayer. Instead of eating for a short time, I'm going to not eat and I'm going to pray. And I don't know how it works fully. It's all spiritual, or if it's part spiritual and part physical, but in the Bible, whenever somebody set aside something ordinary like food to do something extraordinary, extraordinary like, like, like pray, they connected with God at a whole new level, and I can't explain it any more than that. Jesus did it, facing big stuff in his life. He just went away, 
put food aside for a few days and prayed. And then he looks at his church and says, hey, when you fast, you should do it for the right reasons. So here's the biggest, weirdest assignment, homework assignment that Flatirons has ever come up with, all right? If you're visiting, we don't normally do this. Last week we held hands. We're not doing that tonight, uh, unless you want to. Uh, but, uh, and we may never do this again, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do, church. All right? If you're physically able to do this, if you're not, don't do this. But if you can't physically do this, I bet you and God could work out some variation on that, on, on what we're going to talk about. But would you set aside at least 24 hours in the next week before you come back in here and replace food with prayer? And I really don't walk around going, yeah, I'm not eating because I love Jesus. No, no, no. Really, the only person who really knows about it is, is God. Um, and here's what I would really ask you to pray about. Um, God, what do you want me to do with this? What kind of leap of faith? How do you want me to get out of the boat and, and take, the, take, take my seeds, my money, and, and, and invest them in this building relationships in Christ? Over the next three years, God, I have this much money coming in that I know about. I have this much, you know, these bills kind of like that. I was going to buy these things and do these kind of things. But instead, will you show me what to do maybe instead of that for this period of time? Because I love, I love my stuff and I love my experiences and I love that. But I, I also want to make sure that as I love all my stuff and, and, and build up my pile, that I don't forget about the most important things. Letting people know that you love them. Giving food and shelter to the forgotten, discarded in the world. Colorado, Afghanistan. Would you pray about that? Pray through all the what ifs. Oh, the what ifs are going to hit you. They're already hitting you, aren't they? The yeah buts. And then when you're all convinced that you've heard from God, then make your decision and fill out your card. And if you fill out your card on Tuesday and then Wednesday going, oh, no, what am I going to do? It's, it's, I, I changed my mind. You can download a new card online. Okay, there you go. Uh, maybe 10 times as you scratch out and stuff like that. Here's the thing. is next weekend. Will you bring that card back here? And here's the thing is... Um, uh, we're going to lay it right here. And then here's what we're going to do. You're going to lay down your card. This, over the next three years, this is what I've decided in my heart between me and God that I'm going to invest in making sure that we have a place that people can come and bump into Jesus. Uh, you're going to pick up a brick on the way out. I mean, this whole place is going to be full of bricks. Um, and you're going to take it home with you. That's, this is why, by the way, that we're dismissing our second through fifth grade because this, this is a family deal. You may be the head of the house going, well, I, I, I'm going to give for the whole family. I, I don't know if you have that right. Because across the hallway, all our kids are learning about sharing. So as the head of the house, you decide what you're going to do. But your 6-year-old, your 10-year-old, your 13-year-old, they need to work out their stuff with God too. So let them lay their card up here and let them get their brick and let them write their third-grade friends all over it. And in 18 months, we'll bring it back and they'll pray that their friends walk across that and into that children's ministry and ask Jesus to come and live in their life. So... We're going to do that. Bring your, bring your whole family in here. Come up here together as a family. Now, I'm done. In Bible times, all right, and we're just trying to be a church that's kind of like the ones in the Bible. Um, they, in, when, when Jesus was done or the apostles were done, something like that, they would do a collection to make sure that you know, more people found out about Jesus and also the poor were taken care of. They would build a special table. It started with Judaism, and we don't normally have one, but we built one, but we, we're going to build a better one right now, an altar. And on, this is the altar that we're going to lay our, our gifts on next week, but Flatirons is not a building, is it? It's people. The church, you can't put church in a, in a, in a box. We're not trying to do that. Flatirons is people. It's, it, well, it's a building, but the cornerstone is Jesus and everything else is us. It's a, it's a million bricks. It's a, but more than that, it's a million stories. It's a million relationships. It's a million lives, changing lives. 
always changing lives. Uh. Yeah, love the crybaby church. Uh. This, is, this, this is our church. And I think the message from God is come and help us build it. We have a saying around here. If, if you're thinking, I'm not sure this is for me. We have a saying around here that goes like this. Is that all you got? If you think that you're disqualified and God just really doesn't have time for you, is that, is that, is that what you thought disqualified you? Because what Jesus says is he would build an entire church out of that. Because we are not changed people. We're changing. We're not fixed. It's a process. It's, we're saved. That's been taken care of. And we're loved. That's not enough for negotiation, but he is working on us. And if you want to come do that with us. Um, we're not the best church in the world. We're not the best church in town. It's not even our goal. We just want to be a church that says, hey, bring it. Stack it on the pile and follow Jesus with us. You don't have to hold hands, but we're going to. Okay? And we're going to close with prayer. And, uh, and we're going to be out of here. And then we're going to go home. We're going to wrestle with God. And uh, we're going to have a miserable week. Just so you know, go in peace. All right? And uh, let me pray. And then we'll be dismissed. God, so we're building an altar, not out of bricks. And we're not just laying money on it. Uh, we're building an altar on your son, Jesus. And we're just stacking up our lives and saying, here, God, if you can build something out of me, you can have me. God, I've got to be honest with you. Um, life is hard. And bodies don't do what they're supposed to do. And people don't keep their promises. And men, women hurt us. And, um, Cells in our body just go crazy. And there's some things we, we have no explanation for, and we're wrestling with you about it. And we're kind of mad even right now, but where else would we go but to you? Who else would have words that could lead to life? And so we come to you as a church. God, I, I know there's some people here that probably at Flatters for the very first time ever thinking what kind of place they walked into. Um, let me just tell them, safe here. It's a me too place. We don't care about money. We care about making sure that everybody who wants to can bump into Jesus. That's all we care about here. The rest is up to you. So go with us now, God. Wrestle with us all week long. I can't wait for, for next week to see uh, what those conversations have looked like. We love you and we trust you. Help us trust you more. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Good night.